eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, one guest this week, uh, someone who I've been wanting to talk to for uh, quite some time and the timing of this, uh, uh, I think you're really going to be interested in what he has to say. Neil Everett is of course a long time, or was a long time, I should say, ESPN Sports Center anchor, also a television studio host for the pre, half, and post-game coverage for uh, Trailblazers road games. Again, one of the iconic Sports Center anchors of his generation. And we get into a lot of stuff. Just an absolutely fabulous conversation from uh, how he saw his ESPN departure, why he thought it uh, why he thought it happened, to what he wants to do heading forward, uh, including uh, doing some stuff with the Trailblazers. Neil spent a lot of time in Hawaii and how Hawaii and sort of just living there and the chi of Hawaii sort of impacted uh, who he is and and how he approached things. Talked about a couple of his memorable moments at ESPN, including uh, doing John Wooden's last TV interview, very famous uh, Sports Center uh, commercial with Roger Federer. Um, and so it's great. It was a great 45 or so minute conversation with, uh, with Neil Everett, uh, Again, I think you know. Fair to say, one of the beloved Sports Center anchors of uh, of his time. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation, Neil Everett, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, um, you know, if you've watched sports television in the last 20 years, my guest does not need an introduction. I will give him one a- a- anyway. Neil Everett is a television studio host for the pre-half and post-game coverage for most Portland Trailblazer road games. You probably know him as a longtime ESPN Sports Center anchor who uh, who worked for many years in Bristol. And um, at least I can tell you his reputation, at least on my end, in terms of talking to the hundreds and hundreds of people I have talked to over the years writing about that place was really sterling. And uh, just someone who everyone always just spoke warmly of and and as a decent human being which to me is uh is your ultimate legacy he's uh, kind enough to uh give me some time today and i appreciate it very much and i welcome neil everett to the sports media podcast hello neil how's it uh listen if if if, if i need an agent I'm calling you for with that introduction and and what's interesting richard is i've always been a fan of yours because uh uh, of your affiliation with sports illustrated and uh you know i before we did this podcast i told my wife i need to i need to know a little bit more about this cat that i'm talking to and uh so i always wanted when when i was a kid and people said what do you want to be when you grow up the first thing i wanted to be was a veterinarian and then i realized all the animals didn't live so i said well that's out and then i decided i said well i want to write for sports illustrated and the hook is very similar to, to your hook. My mother bought me a copy of Sports Illustrated every Valentine's Day. And, and that was my big Valentine's gift from her was a copy of Sports Illustrated. 
and uh and until i could afford my own subscription i don't think they had sports illustrated for kids back then uh and then i finally you know was able to afford my own subscription and i kept every copy i mean like they were in mint condition like i don't know what i was going to do with them eventually i eventually i lost them or got rid of them but that was always my thing was i wanted to write for sports illustrated and i wrote for the school newspaper and and all that and it didn't end up going that way but when i read that uh, your mother gave you a subscription as a seven-year-old and that uh, lit the fire that has led to the uh you know led to the career the bright burning career that you've had i thought well it's meant to be that i'm talking with this dude uh, that's cool that's, i appreciate that the uh the late uh dr deitch she would she would very much appreciate uh that shout out um and that is very true uh, I, I can't tell you if like I could have read it at seven. I have no recollection of that. But we <laughs> we we kept you know I kept all of those copies when I was a little kid, and then certainly by the time I was a you know in my uh, definitely as a teenager, maybe a little before it, like I did read that, and that was my dream to work there. And I actually still to this day can't believe I worked there because like the the people who I was reading in the in the eighties and nineties, like these were giants, like literary giants, and. Uh, it, it just felt like you had to be touched by the hand of God to work there. And so, um, so it's nice of you to say, I feel, uh, very fortunate, but yeah, that was my mom. She subscribed to like Newsday, New York times, daily news, readers digest, Ms. Magazine. I mean, like our house was essentially like a poor man's library. And so, uh, that's, uh, that's what started it. Yeah. I remember, I remember if I may, uh, when I, when I lived in Hawaii, um, you know, I would I would go into a, uh, a magazine store and the L.A. Times, which I still get delivered to this day. I'm that guy. And uh, uh, I would go into the magazine store and I would pick up the L.A. Times and I would look through the sports page. So I, if Jim Murray had written a column that day and if he hadn't, then I pretty much dropped it. And it, and and I couldn't afford to buy it back then. And it's probably two bucks or something. But, you know, this was, uh, you know, every every dollar was precious. Still is just, the, uh, you know, the vision's different. But I would read these Jim Murray columns and it was like he was like, I'm like, this guy is so descriptive. And I feel like I'm at the Kentucky Derby when he's writing about it. And then one day in the Honolulu advertiser, it said that uh, Jim Murray uh, who who your listeners need to know, you know, he's one of the, I think, three sports writers who's won a Pulitzer. Uh, he was coming to the island of Lanai and he was doing a he was doing a talk there. So I call Lanai and they've only got two hotels and they're super ritzy. Bill Gates got married at one. Give you an idea. And uh, I said, hey, is there any kind of a media rate? Like, you know, because you know, this rate, like I'll be sleeping outside on the rate, you know, the rate that they got posted. And they says, I, I don't know. They, I can't remember exactly what they said, but the next thing I knew, Richard, was I got a call and it was some from somebody representing Jim. And it might have been his uh, his wife, Linda, and says, you know, Jim would like would like somebody to host this talk. And so instead of me trying to find a place to stay over there, I get invited and I get to be the guy who sits with Jim Murray and hosts this talk with him as he talks in Lanai before just a group of people who ever showed up for this thing. And it was uh, it was the beginning of a beautiful relationship that led to me being on the and Jim died a couple of years after that, but led to me being on the Jim Murray Memorial Foundation board for a number of years and still having a friendship with, uh, with, with Linda, his, his wife. So, uh, it, it, I guess I tell that story because it's the, 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 the power of the written word or the power of communication can lead to all these wonderful places. If you, uh, you know, if you, if you flow with it and, and I've been very blessed in that regard. Oh, I love that story. Uh, and, uh, Jim Murray's like impact or influence on a market like cannot be duplicated anymore. Like the there is no more like generally speaking voice of a of a city who can uh who people will um you know uh like run to run every morning to sort of read what that person has to say the world does uh change and neil we're kindred spirits because like you uh, i still um get the print edition of the of the toronto star so i'm paying until that thing is done that's coming to my door <laughs> no matter what yeah um so i'm with you on that all right so um 
We're taping this today, July 10th, um, 2023. Uh, how are you feeling right now in terms of just everything that's uh, happened with your professional life in the last 30 days? I feel great. And the, the, I guess it would be irony, not coincidence. July 10th, this July 9th was my actual separation date from ESPN. My contract began on July 10th of 2000 was my first day. So it's appropriate now that I know that this is running a few days after that, but uh, it's appropriate. We're having this conversation. Uh, I'm doing fabulous, man. There's just, uh, there's, there, there's so many stories out there to be told. There's so many gigs out there to be had. There's so much to do there. I mean, you know, like I, I went to Neil Young earlier this week on a day I probably would have been working. I'm going to dead, the Dead and Company in San Francisco on Friday. For sure, I would have been working. Uh, there, there's, uh, there's just, I, I feel great. I had a, I had a wonderful time. Uh, uh, all good things come to an end eventually. And, uh, it was a good thing. Uh, but the, the time for it to end had come. And I'm just excited about the future. All right. Uh, We'll we'll start with ESPN, uh, and I can assure you, as I told you, sort of offline, I'll tell you here, this will not be the um, entire crux of this conversation. But you know, people are curious. They there's there were there's a connection with you and an audience because you were in people's homes for um, for two decades. From your perspective, why are you no longer working at ESPN? Ooh. Um... I would I would probably guess that uh, my value to them was not what uh, it needed to be for them to keep me there. When Kenny Maine was on this podcast, and he's a friend of yours, um, he was very, very specific. He told me ESPN offered him a 61% reduction in salary. He was literally specific to the point of that. And he said uh, that combined with a 14% reduction in the time I would work, he found that uh, to be a deal that he did not want to uh, do. And he turned that down. Um, again, I respect if, if how deep or how deep you do not want to go. But did ESPN offer you some kind of deal to stay at a reduced salary? There's similarities in Kenny's story and mine. Uh Mine dates back to two years ago. So two years ago, uh, I, I, I agreed to take less and work less, uh, to take much less and, and, and work less. Uh, so I knew the writing was on the wall. And so for these last two years, I've been laying the track uh, to, do, to do other things. And that's where the Portland Trailblazers job came in. And what a blessing that they, uh, they invited me into their onto their bench and, uh, and with their talented people up in Portland. And, and that's, you know, that's the team I grew up rooting for and how many, how many kids get a, you know, get a realize that, it, it, the, you know, my dad took me to trailblazers games in the mid seventies. I lived in Spokane, but he lived in Portland and, and now I'm, you know, now I'm getting to be part of that team. So, but to your question, um, that was two years ago. So I, I saw the writing on the wall. And at this time, then I chose to write my own narrative before they tried to write it for me. Gotcha. Okay. So then my next question was going to be, do you feel like you had the opportunity, which many people don't have, to at least exit on your own terms as opposed to somebody exiting you? I feel like I exited on my own terms 100%. The uh, I want to let's let's get into the Trailblazers thing real quick here. You um you worked uh you worked the last couple of years as a television studio host uh for them mostly on road games. So you'll do the pregame, the half, and postgame coverage. Um, you know your reviews for your work were great. That's an incredible basketball city, as anybody who's an NBA fan knows. Um, I know that <laughs> they're working on some other things at the moment, Neil, but <laughs> where does, uh, where does that stand in terms of your interest and their interest in coming back? Oh, my interest is huge. Uh, so I, I, you know, I've had a, uh, a, a, con a conversation with the, with, with one of the executives there. And, uh, uh, I, I think that there's still interest. Like you mentioned, there's, a. Uh, there's the business at hand with Damian Lillard. This is a great Damian Lillard story. So, you know, I only do the away games. 
So people go like, Hey, how's Damian Lillard? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't met him, you know, because I know Chauncey cause he worked with us at ESPN, but I, you know, I, I met Nurk once because he, he came to ESPN and I did a segment with him, but you know, I've never met, uh, Anthony Simons or, you know, uh, Grant or any of these guys. Uh, uh, and, uh, so we're at Bill Shonley, who, for those folks who don't know, was the 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 voice of the bride, uh, voice of the Blazers forever, and he's the one who came up with Rip City, and uh, a great guy. So he passed away, and we're at a memorial service for him, and and Damian Lillard's there, and and my wife and I are there, and and Lillard's kind of standing by himself, and she says, "Go over and introduce yourself," and I'm like, "No, no, no, I don't want to bother him," and and she's like, "God, go, just go over there," and and so she talks me into going over there and i'm you know it's it's funny richard because you know the red light goes on and you're a sports center host or you're a portland trailblazer host the red light goes on and people think like man that dude look at that look at how what an extrovert that person is you know just you know delivering and going and doing this in front of a camera man i'm an uh, i'm an introvert by nature so uh uh, when the red light's not on, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, when the red light's on, I'm, I'm going in fifth, fifth gear. When the red light's off, I'm in, I'm in second. And sometimes my wife said second might be a stretch, but anyhow, Lillard's over there. And I, so finally I go over there and I go, I go, Hey, Dame Neil Everett. And he goes, man, I know who you are. And I said, well, man, I just, you know, I've never met you. And he goes, yeah, we met. And I'm like, Oh my God, I, I don't remember this. And I said, I, I, you got to tell me when, and he goes, it was my rookie year. And I, and he was in Eugene and we met at a bar that's since been shuttered called Taylor's. And I said, all right, Dave, that was your rookie year. And it was at a bar. I go, I'm going to give myself a pass. I'm not remembering that one, but I'll never forget this one where I, I met him at Bill Shonley's Memorial. So, uh, I, you know, it's, it, it sounds like Dame's on his way out of town. That's going to be a tough one for all of Portland to, to, to live with, but he, he's done wonderful things while he's been there and, you know, him, Walton and Clyde Drexler, the three greatest blazers ever. So it's been a, so it's been, uh, like I mentioned, it's been a blessing working with the trailblazers and there's hope that I get to do that again this year. Yeah. I hope you do too. Uh, it tells you something about Damian Lillard's uh, memory as well. Do, as, uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just, I'll ask you a basketball question. Like, uh, like, is there a way to get fair value for the guy, or is that just essentially not possible? You get what you can get, and the the rebuild begins with what looks like a couple of good young players. Well, he's one of the you know NBA seventy five best of all time. So I, I I don't know how you get fair value, but you know you you never know if you if you if you get a draft pick that ends up to being a, you know eventually one of one of the top one hundred players of all time. And, you know, I don't know, you know, there's talk a hero going to Brooklyn and somebody coming here and all that. But I, you know, I, if you're a Portland fan, you got to believe in your general manager and all that and Joe Cronin and, and that he's going to do what's best for, uh, the Blazers and hopefully what's best for Lillard because there's a, there's a relationship there that's, you know, it's a business relationship. But if you understand the relationship that Portland, not just the team, but the whole city, has with Damian Lillard, it's much deeper than than I think most relationships between professional athletes and the city in which they play. Yeah, and that city, I, t- I mean, I th- hopefully my memory is right here. That city is just so unique in terms of the basketball relationship. Is the Halberstram book called The Breaks of the Game? Or am I... Yeah. Am I, okay, yep. that's a, that's about the, the Trailblazers during the Walton era. I, re- I remember reading that. And my big takeaway, obviously, other than just like the interesting team that year, was that man, like this city is really into basketball. And as an East Coast kid, I've only been to Portland once; it was awesome. Um, but you don't really know that, you know what I mean? Like it, it feels as someone who grew up in New York, like Oregon feels like uh, Madrid. You know what I mean? It's like so far away; you don't really have a feel for it. But um, you're you're there, right? So it really is like I guess it's because there it's the only pro team. Right. Oh, I guess oh, yeah. I'm along with it. They got a, they got some soccer teams now, but for forever it was the only pro team. Yeah, and and I'm, listen, I hate to call you out, but it's it's not Oregon. It's oh, how Oregon. do I say it? Oregon? You, yeah, it's or, terrible. Oregon. Yeah, I, I, it's people. It's it's like when Torontonians <laughs> call out people for not saying Toronto. You don't pronounce the other T, so I apologize for that. <laughs> no, that's all right. It's funny when we uh, uh, at ESPN one year they did uh, fifty states in fifty days, and they sent anchors. To, yeah, and so I did. 
Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, and Connecticut, which at the time were the only four states I'd ever lived in. And I remember in Oregon, uh, the first thing I did, I said, welcome to Hood River, Oregon. And if you're calling it Oregon, stop now. So that's uh, that's always been on my mind. I, I, I don't mean to... No, no, it's great. It's great. By the way, what a what a quartet. By the way, it's like sort of. Oh, oh, I mean, who? What? How lucky was I? Was what? You know, what a what a great gig that was. I mean, so many great gigs in those years at ESPN, and and so many great great stories to tell in the future. I want to get to Hawaii eventually. All right, so one last one on ESPN, then we'll move on to some other things. Uh, Just in terms of the immediate, Um, you have friends who have left ESPN. And have not just found success, but greater success after leaving ESPN. If you talk to someone like Trey Wingo, like he will tell you uh, that while he was not particularly happy at the time about uh, you know Norby Williamson and company basically telling him the part, like it has worked out very well for him. Uh, Mike Golick is another one who will tell you like the the things he's been able to experience after ESPN. Um, have really been incredible for him. So, you know, Dan Patrick's obviously the patron saint of all this. Do, do you have the fact that others have have gone on to other things after ESPN, does that, I don't know, does that give you a blueprint or uh, maybe solace isn't the right word, but um, have you reflected upon that and seeing that there are going to be possibilities out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought about that uh, on the way out. Uh, but I think, you know, each man or woman, we pave our own roads. So, um, you know, uh, Dan Patrick, uh, like as you mentioned, he he's, you know, he's set the bar, um, you know, but he still works a ton. Uh, and I, I don't know what Wingo and Golick do, but, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to work a ton anymore. I worked a ton for ESPN, you know, Stan and I, I think Stan and I did more shows together than any pair in sports center history. I mean, we did for the, for the pre pandemic here in LA, we worked five nights a week, you know, months at a time, uh, you know, and now, you know, now it's more like a three night a week gig or, you know, sometimes four, sometimes five, but you know, I, I'm, I'm 61 years old now. I got a, I got a young wife and I got a lot of, you know, there's a lot of fun to be had out there that, that, uh, was displaced for, for work. And, you know, I didn't make a kill in there financially, but I'm did well enough. And I, and I'm, I've saved well enough that there, that we can have some fun. So, um, there's, there's jobs to be had and, but there's also life to be lived. And, and what's important to me is striking the, the proper balance of those two things as I enter this, uh, next phase of my life. It's a great attitude. Will Portland be home base or somewhere else? You know, right now it's Los Angeles with my wife and I, we have a home in uh, seaside, Oregon, which is a great little town about 90 minutes from Portland. And we have our home here in Los Angeles. And then there's always, you know, there's always an interest in Hawaii, uh, given my time there. And, and this is still fresh, this freedom. So while we, while we bathe in the freedom, uh, we, we, we look to what the future holds and, and there's, there's irons in the fire right now that have yet to, you know, we'll figure out what, how we're going to go about it. One of the things that um, when I knew you were coming on today, I wanted to ask you about was Hawaii. Uh, I've been three times and it's an amazing place. I mean, I could not recommend it uh, highly enough to anyone who has the opportunity to see it. But it always strikes me, Neil, every person I've either met from Hawaii or has spent time in Hawaii, it just feels like they have a different like outlook on life than than those who live in like major cities and on the quote-unquote mainland um i don't know what it is i I don't know if it's like an appreciation of nature or the water or just things slow down there but literally like every person i work just seems to have a better perspective on the work-life balance who has some kind of ties to hawaii you were there for a long time you were in honolulu you worked as a uh, uh, an anchor there. You were uh, an athletic. Uh, you were sports information director, assistant athletic director at Hawaii Pacific University. What is it about like life and covering sports in Hawaii? I was there from '85 to 2000, and had, had this ESPN gig not come about, uh, I would still be there. Um, yeah, you know, I. That's a. It's a. It's an interesting for you know for me personally. Hawaii saved my life. 
So, you know, I went there in 85. My mom had passed away a, a couple years earlier and I was in my early 20s. And I had, you know, and I was I I, I was running away from the the pain of her death to a place I'd visited in 1982 for a, a month with a college friend of mine uh, and was like, why doesn't everybody live here? And uh, uh, just, I think the, I, you know, I, I think it's just the, it's, you know, they call it the mana. It's just the, the, the vibe, the feel, the energy uh, and whether you embrace it and whether it embraces you too, because there's a lot of people that hit that and they get the rock fever and they need to leave. And we always put it was like three years. If you last three years, you could stay for as long as you want, you know, but those first three years are going to be, be tough because there is a, there is the isolation there. I remember when I was living there and my grandma died and I couldn't make it back to the mainland. I just didn't have the funds to come to her funeral. Whereas if, you know, if you're in, toronto and your grandma dies in oregon you can you know you can at the very least you can get in a car and road trip it if you need to um so i i, I think that's it and it, it changed my it saved my life it changed my life and i'm forever indebted to hawaii for what she did for me and um yeah i i, I think it's i think it's an energy thing i don't think it's something you can really quantify uh verbally do you think it's you when you say it saved your life because it got you centered after the passing of your mom? Absolutely. It just um um you know the ocean is a healer. The 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 sun is a healer. Um nature is a healer. The people the people I met the the people that you know opened their arms and accepted me into their ohana and uh uh, you know, allowed me to be part of, of, of their greater good, uh, that, that saved me, man. The, um, you, you, you joined ESPN in July of 2000. Uh, you ended up, uh, doing the late night edition, um, from LA, uh, in between all that, obviously, um, there were some incredible experiences, um, in doing a little bit of research for you. Uh, I want to ask you about doing John Wooden's last TV interview, but this one came up like I, I have no recollection of this. And given the length of this, is I, I asked myself, how do I not recall this? M you interviewed Michael Keaton for forty nine minutes on a Sports Center. So, like, how did that? Like, how could that happen? That's kind of amazing. But like, what is the story behind that? No, I interviewed him for forty nine minutes. A about eleven minutes made it on Sports Center, oh, which okay. is still, so which still is still amazing. still amazing. That we did about a, I think it was a a, th a three minute segment and then like an eight minute segment. And listen, I maybe it may have maybe it was eight minutes total. It was more minutes than anybody else has ever gotten. But Michael Keaton and I talked for forty nine minutes, you know. And you can just imagine him in the, in the control room. They're like, "When the hell is he going to wrap this up?" I mean, big Pittsburgh sports fan. Yeah, Michael Keaton. How much of this are we going to use? And it's it, what's unfortunate is that there wasn't the, uh, I don't know, synergy is the right word or uh, the relationship between the fingers at ESPN that, that, that they didn't take those 49 minutes and put them, you know, on a YouTube spot or on ESPN.com or ESPN plus or ESPN minus or whatever other ESPN that's out there because that that's too bad because there were a ton of interviews that I did with celebrities that were, you know, 20, 25 minutes that made three to four minutes on the show. Uh, but obviously it was decent enough stuff because the, the Denzel's and the Michael Keaton's and the Allison Janney's of the world didn't get up and leave or didn't say, Hey, you know, what we're, you know, like when you go do a, when you go to a, a media shoot like that's that's um, oh set up by the studio, like let's say an Adams, I did one with uh, the the guys who waiting on Wrexham or whatever Reynolds and the other guy, yeah, right, uh, yeah, Rob McElhenney, yeah, yeah, and so you know they tell you, hey, you've got five minutes. Okay, because after you, here comes somebody else, and after you know, it's a it's a uh, what do they call it? car wash. Uh, and so you got five minutes, but when these, when these people came to sport, the sports center set, the Jonas brothers, I remember the Jonas brothers came and they said, this is the coolest thing we've ever seen. And I'm like, you guys played at the Coliseum in Rome. Okay. 
So, um, you know, it just, it, it, it was, it's, it's funny to see uh, Jake Gyllenhaal do top 10 plays and be so fired up about it. And you're like, wow, you know, it, it just, it, it speaks to the brand uh, that, that these guys would sit down and talk that long with somebody who was affiliated with the show. And, and there were so many of those. In fact, I, I kept a list of them, but I'm, I'm so poorly organized. I don't know where it is of every like named person I ever talked to at sports center, just so I could remember it in my old age. Yeah. And the, the, and the fact that you and Stan were in LA, right. Makes it, um, makes the possibilities of interviewing bold name people uh, easier because of the accessibility to your studio in Los Angeles. Yeah. And we had great bookers, you know, we had, uh, you know, that would get people in there and they'd be like, Hey, do you want to, you know, do you want to talk to, uh, you know, um, Chris Pratt? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. You know, I remember the first time I talked to Chris Pratt, I never, I didn't even know what parks and recreation was. I'm probably the only guy who ever interviewed him and never mentioned parks and rec. Uh, and then Rob Lowe too, who told me I had nice skin, which I'll never forget. Um, uh, but you know, I didn't want parks and rec, but you know, you do your homework and the, and, and you get to sit down and talk to these people and, 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 uh, you know, um, Tony Hale, I remember he came in and he said, I don't know anything about sports. And I said, that's okay. And I said, uh, where are you from? I go, Alabama. He goes, Alabama. I go, what do you think about the Crimson Tide? He goes, oh, the Crimson, <laughs> you know, he was all into it. So everybody's got a story. You know this as well as anybody because of the fabulous work you do. People like to talk about themselves if they're asked the right questions. And that's what it is. And you ask the right questions and then you listen to the answers because the, your next question is in their answer more often than not, opposed to the, the 10 questions that you wrote down that you thought you were going to ask them. The, um, you know, I think you've this has been mentioned in your bio and I think you've mentioned it as well. Uh, so you did John Wooden's last television interview. I have no recollection of this. When, when and where did it happen? Uh, do you remember how when it was done uh, in relation yeah. to when he passed? I'd I'd be curious about that. Yeah, I think you know, I, I I truly believe it was his last television interview. I think Rick Riley did a sit down with him after, uh, but this for the for the printed word. Um, so uh, Coach Wooden was being honored by Sport Magazine as the number one coach in the history of sport, not uh, total. I think Vince Lombardi was two. So it was across, across all sporting fields. And there's a restaurant over the, over the hill here uh, where he used to hang out the coach. And it's kind of straight out of the Sopranos, you know, the red, you know, red leather chairs. And, uh, and so we had just gotten here. I think we started here in April. And this might have been six months later, let's say. And they said, hey, can you go to interview Coach Wooden? And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. And uh, so we went there. And I remember his daughter came up and and said, dad's been here for like two and a half hours. Can you, you know, can you make it tight? And I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, and I, and I had, you know, I had about eight questions in my mind and I'm like, okay, I don't need that one. I don't need that one. I don't need that one. And, um, so I sat down and talked to him and my stepdad who raised me had actually hunted with coach Wooden's brother. So that was a, that was a good in. And also coach Wooden and I were in the same fraternity in college he we went to different colleges but we were both members of the beta theta pi fraternity uh so that was a good in and so you know i i i asked coach and the the one question i asked him richard that i was really proud of was i asked him how he had how had he prepared for death and and he answered it so beautifully like he did everything he had he had a poem that he recited off memory about uh about death and and i and to the best of my recollection it also had to um do with going to you know be in the afterlife with his wife who had passed away before him and i remember after we were done the producer Stu mitchell said how did you you know wow could you ask him about that and i said the man's 98 he's thought of it you know and uh 
but so you know the i you know i asked the you know asked questions and wrapped up and said coach thanks for your time and i stood up and he kept talking and so i slowly sat back down and he talked for another 15 minutes about how his greatest accomplishment in his mind was him earning his college degree and he just was a it was he was just a beautiful beautiful man and i was raised by a basketball coach so, so i understood you know i understood the history the importance of this the 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 reverence the relevance uh all those things and so you know we ran you know the the 3 minutes on on sports center that night and uh i think coach passed away maybe you know a year later um, maybe a year and a half but it wasn't it wasn't two years later, I don't believe. And, uh, and I had these raw tapes, Richard, and I had them in my drawer in my little desk that was, you know, was, this was public area that we all worked in, in the, the LA studio. And one day they said, Hey, you got to clean out your desks because, you know, we're going to rearrange the furniture, or wash the carpets. I can't remember what it was. And so I put, I put all my stuff in a, in a, an, an office trash can because it was clean and it was right there. I didn't have a box. Well, that was unfortunate because somebody actually thought it was trash and they oh. threw, they threw everything. They, they threw all that away. They threw the raw tapes of coach Wooden. they threw a lot of personal stuff I had, but Oh, that just broke my heart that, uh, that, that, that stuff got thrown away. But, but, but the memory of, uh, of speaking with coach wooden in the way I did that, they, they can't trash that. Yeah. It, um, it reminds me of, uh, when, uh, someone in my family, uh, um, accidentally threw out my Wayne Gretzky rookie card. I'm not really, oh! over, yeah, I'm not really over that yet. Given I had, I had gotten that quite young. Oh, Stan, Stan always tells the story how he, when he went away to college, his mom threw away all his baseball cards, and he's 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 still bitter about that. And I'll tell you what, you know, when you ask about what's on the future for me, what I've got, I've got boxes of sports cards, and I was just looking the other oh, day. Got to go through Pete, those. Those could be. You never I, know what's in there. Oh, I was just looking the other day at this Pete Maravich card that went for half a million bucks, and I'm like, yeah. I think I think I've got that card, and I go, and, and I've got probably seven Al Cinder rookie cards. Oh, and my I, God. And I know that they're in decent shape because, first of all, they've been in a box for the last 40 years, you know, that, that I've just carried from Oregon to Hawaii to Connecticut to Los Angeles without ever opening up. So unless a rat has gotten in there and eaten them, well, yeah, there's you gotta, a... You got to put those in some kind of, like, protective... Uh plastic yeah. or something yeah, yeah take care of that i mean that's you know we could see you at uh one of those uh famous auction houses at a yeah i might i might just really be a man of leisure and not need yeah. any of these gigs oh, if yeah. those things pan out this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, a couple more things here. I heard you tell the your Roger Federer story to Dan Patrick, and I wonder if you could just uh, tell it to my audience about the <laughs> doing a commercial with him and then Roger inviting you to the U.S. Open. It, it made me laugh out loud. Yeah. So, you know, I got to do a sports center commercial. And the funny thing was, cause you mentioned Hawaii, when I would go back to Hawaii, all any, you know, I'd be like, Hey, I'm doing sports center now. And they go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Neil. When are you going to do a commercial? When are you going to do a commercial? So this was the first commercial that I was like featured in. And it was just me and Roger Federer and the folks who don't know, it's basically, Hey, Roger, how, how do you think, you know, I, I would fare if they rank sports center anchors, like they do tennis players. And Roger's like, well, I don't know. What do you mean? I go, well, like, you know, like, you know, you have your rankings, you're number one in the world. Where would I be in the top 10 for sports center anchors? And he says, uh, you're not in the top. I'm not sure you'd be in the top 10, Neil. And I give him the stink eye and I, I'm like, I'm in the top 10, Roger. And, uh, 
Uh, and so then it was great commercial and it turned out and it's funny. And it, I always rooted for Federer because as long as he was still playing every now and then that commercial would run and I looked so much younger and I'm like, God, look at, I don't have a gray hair in my head and now I don't have anything but gray hair. Uh, and so then I got an email from Roger Federer and he says, you know, I did my homework and you definitely are in the top 10. And I'd like, you know, if you'd like to come watch me play tennis in New York at the open, you know, let me know. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, and so I wrote him back and then I'm like, okay, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, people, time's ticking. So I wrote him, I think I wrote it. I know I wrote him twice. I may have even been like so desperate that I wrote him a third time. Uh, but the, you know, obviously I didn't hear back. And so now I'm watching the U S open and they show right. And there's tiger woods and Roger Federer's box. And I'm like, Tiger Woods got the seat and I didn't. So, uh, but I still rooted for Roger Federer because he was so nice to me uh, doing the commercial. And, and I know how things like that can get away from someone. And he, he, I'm going to say that he passed it on to someone who was supposed to invite me and it was them that didn't and not Roger Federer. I, I buy that. Also, you know, I would say maybe Roger will listen to this and he'll invite you. There's no chance he's listening to this, of course. So that's, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, all right. The two last things here. You know, one of the things, um, as I said at the top, Neil, was that, uh, um, I never heard, you know, the, the reality is ESPN can be a very, very political place. Uh, people are political, uh, in some cases it really, really helps them move up. And in other cases, maybe sometimes it costs them and, and front facing people like yourself, I think in many ways have to be political as well. People align themselves with certain management or not. The one thing I always heard about you was just that, like you were, um, you had a reputation of just being a decent person. Like uh, people really liked you. I never heard one person in all my interviews with people covering and writing this stuff say anything cross about you. Um, I know I, I happen to have somebody on this podcast a long time ago, a woman named Francesca Weems, who when she was a little kid uh, was in Hawaii with her brother. Um, she was struggling. Her parent, her mom was struggling in terms of um, – uh, just being able to have enough money to, to pay for shelter and stuff. And you were incredibly kind to her. Uh, she went on to be an anchor in Hawaii now works, I think in the private sector and is doing incredibly well. So the point is like you, uh, and I'm not trying to sort of like, as they say in wrestling, put you over here, but you were not a person who, at least for me, my perspective was overtly political at ESPN seemed to really enjoy working there, have a lot of friends and people spoke well of you. Um, and I guess if I have a question, I would just ask, like, was what am I correct? Like, is that your approach? And like, you just didn't want to get into politics. You did your job. Like, like, how was there not to say it was calculated, but um, how did you see any of this? Because you happen to work at a place that could be very political. Um, well, I just I, I think, uh, you know, the ease for entertainment Um People don't want to. People don't turn on Sports Center wanting to know your political thoughts. A lot of, they don't really want to know your personal thoughts unless they're entertaining. You know, like you know, hey, I was driving to work today and I, and I heard this on the radio, and and you and you relate a story that then is a lead that you know that you you make that your lead. You know that's fine, but you know, um, I just you know I. I don't know. I don't know if it's maybe I'm not that political, uh, politically inclined. I just don't think it's the, the, the spot for it. At least it. I should say it just wasn't the spot for me. Uh, I want to write something that is memorable in those 30 seconds I have for a lead. I want to write something that nobody else would have thought to write about. Um, and um, and I'm, uh, you know what it is, Richard? I'm, I, I avoid conflict by nature. Uh, that's just not my thing. I'm, it makes me uncomfortable. I talked about being, you know, an introvert uh, personally and professionally that you have to be all extroverted to pull that gig off. Um, so yeah, it just, it, it, it just didn't seem, it just never, it, it, it there was always something better to talk about. There, that's how I'll answer it. And I was referring to internal politics, not not necessarily politics of like uh, a politics of the day. But maybe in that sense, uh, Neil, like being in Los Angeles helped because you were away from the you were away from the main office in Bristol. And in some ways, I think um, this would be just my interpretation of work. In many ways, th there really can be advantages to not being um, 
in the center of the storm or in the home office and working for like a, an offshoot of that. Cause it does seem like you have more creative freedom, more autonomy if you're not necessarily in the, at the main headquarters, so to speak. I don't think there's anything I ever wrote or anything that I ever said that I couldn't have said if I was working out of Bristol because they're, they're, they're hearing every word we're saying out of LA. And I, and I, and I, you know, I never got scolded. I mean, I remember one time I had somebody say, Hey, you know, how many bartender references are you going to make? You know, uh, you know, like, Hey, maybe you need to tone it down. And I said, do you want me to not say it after the Coors Light cold, hard facts? Or do you want me to say it after the Bud Light hot seat? So, you know, that was, that was kind of the end of that discussion. So, yeah, I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't cause waves. It's not my nature. And that day, that, that goes directly back to your whole question about Hawaii, you know, cool is the rule. So the, let's, let's just roll and do, do our job, do it the best we can. Hopefully it's appreciated. Uh, hopefully people know what you're all about. Um, and I know what I'm all about and that's, what's most important. And the people that mean the most to me, uh, they know what I'm all about. And, and my mom raised me to be the, the type of man I've, I've been and to, and to help the Francesca Weemses of the world. And she's a, a beautiful story. I just had a great phone conversation with her yesterday. So that relationship continues, you know, you, 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 when you look in the mirror, you got to see yourself, don't see somebody else. And that, cause that's a problem. Yeah. And I would say just, uh, so, so I don't, uh, uh, keep Neil forever, just Google Francesca Weems, W-E-E-M-S, and Neil Everett, and you'll see um, how that story started in that relationship. It's a pretty incredible story. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Last one for me, Neil. You, you know, uh, I joked about this with you, but I think you're very, very smart not to be on social media. Um, generally speaking, even though it's very valuable uh, for getting your work out there, and I'd certainly be the first to say that I got huge advantage on that. Um, it can be very toxic. Things get in your head. It's not necessarily great. But... And this was the same for Kenny when I talked to him. Um, you guys are the rare people who in some ways got to uh, uh, experience like a living funeral in that people just saying really, really nice things about you upon your ESPN departure. I know that you saw some of that or were passed on to that. So I'm wondering just what your impressions were of that, even if you didn't see it firsthand. And then was there anybody who just reached out to you that surprised you that, you know, you're like, wow, I didn't realize I had an impact on this person. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, I got a text from Dan Fouts. Wow. And it, whose number I didn't have. And it, that was really nice, man. And I, I've been a huge fan of his for, you know, forever. Uh, so he's the first one that, that comes to mind. And th there are a couple more. I, I'm not going to be able to, to think of them right now. But yeah, it was, you know, it it was nice. You know, it 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 made me wonder how the hell could they let me go when I'm so <laughs> beloved? <laughs> but you know, and then there was one, and I shared this on the, the, the last show that I did, and it was somebody um, sent a, a link or a thread, whatever it's called, and they said, uh, hey, I've been watching Sports Center religiously for 20 years, and I don't even know who this guy is you're talking about. So, you know, the, the, that's that's all you need is to read one of those to have a little perspective. So I I know who I am. And I'm glad other people could see it and understand it. And the, and, and, and some good came out of it because the relationship is two ways. This isn't a one way relationship. It's the, it's me with the viewers and it's the viewers with me. So I'm very, I'm very appreciative that, uh, I was able to be in that position for 23 years and for the most part, leave a good impression. That's great. Dan Fouts, uh, a, a Eugene legend. 
uh, oh, from the from you that, kidding me? Yeah, I know that's pretty cool. I've I've talked to Dan a couple of times. I always enjoyed. He's an interesting uh, kind of quirky guy. It, I, I I like Dan Fouts a lot in my dealings yeah. with him. All right, all right. So again, um, as Neil pointed out, it, it may not be a done deal yet, but it seems to be heading this way. So you should knock on wood be seeing him as a television studio host once again for uh, for the Portland Trailblazers. Did road games last year. Maybe that'll be the same this year in terms of pre half and post. Maybe he'll get some home games. But as he said on this podcast, he's also uh, going to experience life uh, uh, as he heads forward, have some fun with uh, with his significant other, and. Uh, and enjoy, uh, enjoy some uh, free time after working forever. Listen, Neil, I know you don't do a ton of these, and I know you certainly don't do a lot of 45-minute ones, um, <laughs> but it was really good of you to uh, come on. Um, I've always appreciated and admired your work. I wish you nothing but the best heading forward, and thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Richard, to leave, I would, little, would like to give a shout-out, if I may, to Heroes Movement, which is, the, which is a nonprofit I'm involved in. Uh, I help co-found that provides gym memberships to veterans across the country so they can continue to feel part of a team. We, you know, this it's very important. And, and so anybody out there wants to Google heroesmovement.org and, and feel like helping us out. We are a we are grassroots and uh, but we're doing big things and that's across the country. So I appreciate you letting me give that shout at the end there. Absolutely. Heroesmovementoneword.org all together if you can yeah, look that up. Yeah, heroesmovement.org one word. Okay, well uh, uh, that will stay in and uh and uh, please, uh, anybody listen to this, uh, check that out. I'm actually just popped on it now. Uh, Neil, man, thank you. I uh, I appreciate it, and uh, and I will uh, I'll check up on you down the road. Hopefully, you know we can do one of these from you're in uh, I don't know you're in you're in Crete or some warm you know Costa Rica or some interesting there place on the globe. I'll be covering the world long distance canoe paddling championships in Tahiti. Let's Ooh, meet there. I love, I love yeah. I don't, See if the athletic has the budget for that. Neil Everett, everyone. <laughs> All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Neil Everett. Uh, that was fantastic. I hope uh, you guys enjoyed that. If you did, please leave us a five star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. Um, last couple podcasts, the one before this, we uh, we went pretty deep on the three part documentary series examining the life, career, and impact of. Wilt Chamberlain. That was with Rob Ford, the director of that project, and Showtime Sports President Stephen Espinoza. I uh, did a roundtable with Chad Finn and Austin Carp on the sports media stories to follow in 2023. James Andrew Miller came on to talk about ESPN management changes. We had Washington Post sports columnist Sally Jenkins on to talk about her new book. She has an, she wrote an incredible feature on Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova. Can't recommend that enough. And then uh, Taylor Twelman came on to talk about MLS and Apple and how they can maximize Leo Messi's time in America. There should be stuff in the archives that uh, that uh, you'll be interested in. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work, of course. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.